Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Teresita McCarthy. Teresita is a retired educator. She taught for 35 years in the classrooms in her native community of Belle Island, Newfoundland. She taught uh, three programs for older workers under a WISE sponsored program in Belle Island, and she is currently manager of the Belle Island Community Museum and Number 2 Mine Tour. She's a founding member of the Belle Island Heritage Society, Inc. and Tourism Belle Island, and has also served as vice president of the Museums Association of Newfoundland and Labrador, president and is currently immediate past president and treasurer of this association. I am delighted to welcome you to the show. Hello, Teddy. And I'm delighted to be here, Dale. I Thanks so for the glad. opportunity. I'm always, I'm always pleased to have a chat with you. Yes, me and now, too. And now we get to record it for posterity and, ah, and let other people listen in. There you go. So we're going to talk about Belle Island today. and My favorite topic. Good. I thought you might be able to talk about Belle Island. Now, you grew up there. I did. I was born in St. John's, actually. You're a townie. Uh, well, just for maybe five days. <laughs> Not that there's anything no one, wrong with no, townies. No, that's fine. Townies are wonderful yes. people. But anyway, I had uh, quite an introduction into life. Um, the Kippewa was the ferry at the time, and uh, my mother went in labor on Belle Island. And normally, babies back in the 1950s were born at home. But it was my parents' first child, and... Uh, they had been married seven years before I was conceived. So much to my mother's chagrin, the doctor said, no, you have to go to St. John's. So she went into labor, and the uh, midwife came in, and they hired a cab. And anyway, they went on to Kippewa. Halfway across the tickle, the rudder broke. <laughs> so here was my mother in full-blown labor on a ferry that was going nowhere. So the captain of the day came down and said, Mrs. Kennedy... We will get you off the ferry and get you into St. John's. And she said, and that's what you will not. (laughs) If I have to have this baby on this boat, that's where the baby will be born. So what they did was they got some fishing boats. And with the oars, they pushed the Kippewa into Portugal Cove. They were able to dock her, my mother and father, and the midwife and the taxi driver drove off the ferry and I was born the following morning on April Fool's Day. <laughs> so now is that a true story? Then? That's a true, true story. <laughs> but there's a, there there's a, another part to that. The taxi driver was Mr. Reg Durdle, and Mr. Reg Durdle is Amy McCarthy's grandfather, and Amy McCarthy is married to Gavin McCarthy, who is our son. Wow. So you talk about how how your whole life is woven around an event, you know. Yeah. But anyway, and here I am today, at twenty nine years of age. And we're <laughs> we're delighted to have you here. Yeah. I'm delighted to be here. Now, uh, for people who don't know about the history of Bell Island, why is Bell Island important in the history of Newfoundland? Well, uh, in eighteen ninety five, uh, surface mining uh, began on Bell Island. And uh, very quickly they learned that in order to get to ore, they were going to have to go into the ground. And uh, in those days, uh, the men wore the cloth caps and the candles. And uh, mining went on from 1895 until uh, 1966. And this year, Bell Island celebrates, and I use the word 
celebrate very loosely. We commemorate the 50th anniversary of the closing of our mine. So it's been 50 years since the industry closed down. Uh, We shipped iron ore all over the world to Germany and Great Britain and and France. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, some of that iron ore was used during World War II uh, for the Ironman, Ironman, for the the bullets, yes, yeah. <laughs> and for their helmets, and and for a lot of things that they needed iron ore to make in order to make this war run smoothly. Mm-hmm. If building w- building submarines, yes, yes, exactly. I'm getting to that. Yes. So then, in 1942, <clears throat> the U-513 uh, sank the Lord Stratacona and the Saganaga, and uh, that was quite a scary event. My mother was 17 and uh, they lived in Lance Cove and it happened just off Freshwater, just mm. off the upper part of Bell Island. And she tells the story about how they heard this loud crash. Like as she said, it was just like a big explosion. Well, of course. And they ran downstairs and looked out through the window and they had an old-fashioned storm door that was latched in with a uh, hook and eye and uh, she said that the door basically came right off its hinges, and um, they all ran out onto the deck, onto the to the uh, patio. And she said you could see one of the boats actually sinking. It split right in two, and it came up in the center and went down. And she said she will never ever forget the cries of the men. Hmm on those boats. My father lived just a stone's throw away from where the boats were sunk and he went down to the beach and helped to bring some people in. So we have, on Bell Island, we have a wide and vast history, uh, not only because we were a much sought after uh, iron ore mine, but because we were the only place basically in North America that's our enemy action and uh, Steve Nery the late Steve Nery, Lord Rest His Soul uh, wrote a book about it and it was Enemy at Our Doorstep and uh, it's quite a wonderful read and I believe Mrs. Nery is going to be having having it published again Oh, good! because uh, people have been asking for it and it's been out of print for quite some time but yes, we have a wide and, and varied history. So the mine closed in 1966. The mine closed in 1966, and very little of anything was left behind. Yeah. Like, we have nothing of the archives, nothing of that nature. And in 1993, I was at a hair appointment, get my hair done, and Kay Coxworthy was getting her hair done, at Maryland's, a personal touch. <laughs> and uh, Kay said, uh, Teddy, do you think we should have a museum here? And I said, as a matter of fact, I think we should. And she said, I'm thinking about getting a committee together. And uh, she said, what do you think about that? I said, i tell you what. If you get a committee together, you give me a call, and I will give you a hand. In 1994, she called me. In 1995, we cut the ribbon at the number two mine, the 
number two road site, yep. which was the old Bell Island Development Association. And uh, the Lieutenant Governor, Fred Russell, was the person who uh, cut the ribbon. And Steve Nery was the honorary chair, the late Steve Nery. And uh, we cut the ribbon and we soon found that we were outgrowing that space in leaps and bounds. Then in 1997, we got the go-ahead from uh, um, ACOA and HRDC at the time uh, to begin our work in the building that we have today, which is annexed to the number two mine. So that opened in 1998. They started with doing mines, doing mines, doing tours out of the basement. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the building officially opened in 2000. And here we are now in 2016, embarking upon another expansion, another renovation that we hope to get funding for uh, very soon, as a matter of fact. And we're hoping to have shovels in the ground by late fall. Yeah. So we are embarking upon another adventure, and it is uh, just extraordinary. So for people who haven't been down in the mine, and I encourage everyone who visits to go and do it. It's one of the, my favorite things to do in the province. It's, it cuts such an amazing site, unlike any other museum you'll see in the province. When, when people come into the museum, what greets them, and then what happens when they go underground? Well, when you come into the museum, I guess aesthetically, the first thing that greets you is the cleanliness of the building and the magnificent mural sculpture that's done by that was done by Brian Burke that's right behind the reception desk. And if that doesn't wow you enough, <laughs> then you've got these bright, smiling tour guides who are saying, how are you today? Come in. Are you here for a tour? Where are you from? So thus it begins. And then people are invited to visit the exhibit space. And we have revamped our, ex our exhibit space in the past two years. Uh, the Military Museum, when it closed, very graciously gave us their display cases. We had uh, our displays back in the day were all open. I remember, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but now they're all encased. Yeah. It, looks, it looks much more professional. And uh, the staff are kissing my feet because they don't have to clean these artifacts every couple of days. All they have to do is clean the glass. <laughs> so that's great as well. So once you have a view of the exhibit space and, and you, uh, uh, you have a view of the uh, authentic German artifacts that were gifted to us uh, by Ralph Rugeberg's uh, daughter, uh, and her uh, her husband, uh, Barry, and um, what was her name? Kalita, I think. Anyway, uh, they were uh, they came to Bell Island and gifted us uh, with those uh, artifacts, and they are incredible, incredible. Uh, she was very nervous about coming because of what had happened during her father's career. But she was... And her, so her father was... He was he was the guy. He was the captain yes. of the U-513. And uh, Rick Stanley was instrumental in making that happen. He met uh, Barry Collings. Mm. 
So, and so for people who don't know, Rick Stanley owns Rick, Ocean Quest, yes, he does. which is a diving tourism-related company. And they've done a lot of work exploring those uh, those shipwrecks. Yes, yeah. and keep that in mind because we are partnering with Rick now. So that's another story about our mind. But I'll go back to uh, Mr. and Mrs. Collings. Yes. And uh, I, I'm, I'm kicking myself here because I can't remember her name right offhand. And it starts with a C. And it's Ita, something called Kalita or anyway. Mr. and Mrs. Collings. Mr. Collings uh, met Rick Stanley in England. Uh, Rick was there doing a trade show. And he happened to come along and uh, Rick mentioned Belle Island. And he said, you wouldn't believe it. My wife has memorabilia that uh, probably the Belle Island people would like to have. So Rick said, come in and have a drink. So, of course, they had a drink. And uh, they... uh, they decided then that maybe something should be done. So Barry went home to his wife, and uh, she was a hard sell because of the fact of what had happened when her father was captain of the U-513. But between Barry and Rick, they convinced her, and uh, she came to us and bought with uh, with her uh, the uh, Iron Cross, documents signed by Hitler, uh, various photographs, uh, other par- other memorabilia, badges and things. And she gifted those to the Belle Island Museum. Hmm. And we were so grateful. But she was so grateful because her father's things. She never knew he had any of this until he died. And uh, they uh, cleaned out his house and they found it in the attic in a trunk. And she was so grateful that we embraced the fact that we want we we embraced the fact that she came we embraced her uh, as an individual but we also embraced uh those war treasures those memorabilia those artifacts some people were a bit upset about that because they felt that we were basically celebrating what had happened and that germany should not have been celebrated Uh, we're celebrating history, Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm. And uh, we thanked her, and we are so grateful to her uh, that uh, she would gift us with that. And so grateful to Rick for making it happen. So you come in, you see all this wonderful uh, artifacts and, and a fabulous set of photographs. Yes, uh, uh, Joseph well, Karsh, thank you. And did yeah. a, a remarkable piece he of work. When, when was he? When did he come and, and photograph the miners? I'm thinking it was in the 50s. 1950s? I think that's yeah, in that's the, the industrial era is yeah. what those photographs are called. Amazing And uh, Mrs. Karsh was there as well. Yeah. And you'll get to see a picture of... Uh, uh, Billy the Miner yeah. and uh, Mrs. Karsh. So they are extraordinary photographs yeah. and uh, so telling of the mining industry at the time. But I like to describe our um, site yes. as a meal. Okay. So when you drive into the site, you look around, we have beautiful, like, I mean, the landscape is lovely. You've got the berm of tailings on your immediate left and and then, of course, we have the wildflowers and everything that's Newfoundlandish when you drive in. Then you walk into the door, and that's still part of, of the beginning of the appetizer. 
you know, and uh, so you go in and you meet these wonderful people and view this beautiful building. Then you go into the exhibit space. Now you're starting to eat your meal there because that's where the history is, where you learn about uh, the German artifacts and you learn about the sinking of the boats and you're learning about you learn about the mining industry and you learn about daily life on Belle Island during the mining days and you get to watch the videos and you get to partake and you get to have your picture taken with the headless horse with the headless horseman. <laughs> I'm looking at June thinking that with the headless miner. Yeah. But you get all of that. So that's your main meal. But then you're taken downstairs. And thus begins the dessert. And when you enter the basement and you learn all of these things about the room and pillar method. And the tour guide gives you all of the, what I call, pre-knowledge. And then they open that door and you enter an authentic mine that was closed in 1949 and is as pristine as it was the day it was closed. Mm. And then, of course, you get your full-blown walking tour right through, and you get to see the the Clydesdale horses, and you get to see caricatures of a a driller and a mucker and a face cleaner. You get to see the lunch shack. You get to see the water where the uh, mine is flooded, and you get a true sense of the sacred when you walk in there, I always say it's akin to walking into a church because you don't know why you get this feeling, but there is a sincere feeling, ambience of the sacred mm. when you go into that mine. So that's your dessert. So we, we serve a three-course meal. <laughs> <laughs> Plus you can have coffee, miners blend coffee, and cookies, <laughs> and sandwiches. <laughs> From Doris. Um, it is it is an impressive sight. I, I think the thing that astonished me the first time I went down in, into the mine is is how how incredibly extensive it was at, yes. at, at its time. You know, because it went for miles under the oh, ocean, yes. yeah, and and extended out in every direction. Yes. It, it's it's huge. The amount of space that the mines took up was quite quite impressive. Uh, Weiss Architecture and Urbanism has just done four panels for us that we will be displaying. Uh, because of the expansion and the renovation. And the next time you're over, one of those panels show how far away from Bell Island and towards Carbonair the mines go. Hmm. And it's the first time I've ever seen it done like that, and it was jaw-dropping, Yeah, absolutely jaw-dropping. And... Uh, you can't even explain it. It's such a wonderful visual that you really would have to see it. But I, if I could, if I, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to go back to Rick Stanley. Yes. Yeah. In February, uh, Rick bought uh, 15 international divers to the number two mine. And he was, uh, he partnered with a lot of different organizations, one of which was National Geographic, and they flew the flag. National Geographic, and among those divers, there were doctors, scientists, and divers, of course. And the reason why they wanted to come to the number two mine is, first of all, they wanted the doctors wanted to study the effects of diving on the human body. 
The scientists wanted to study the microorganisms in the flooded mines. The other divers wanted to uh, take pictures of the underwater museum mm. that still exists in Number 2 Mine. Because once you go under that water, there's a whole other museum down there. And I was asked if we were going to have the miners, excuse me, the divers bring the artifacts back to the surface. And I said, absolutely not. We would not be disturbing them. They are the artifacts of the water. We will display them in photo form, but never remove them from their current place. But Rick is going to be partnering with Number 2 Mine, and we've already begun that partnership, but it's becoming more solidified now. So he's going to be partnering with us, and he's going to be doing some diving, bringing dives, uh, bringing people to do dives into our uh, and number two, mine. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a very exciting partnership. And Rick has been a magnificent ambassador of Bell Island and a magnificent ambassador of the number two, mine and museum. Yeah. There's such great stories about that <clears throat> that space and that that uh, mine when it was up and running because it was it was really a huge economic generator for the oh, region yes. and and yeah. workers would come from all over the island uh, a lot of men would would who would live in Brigus for example yes. you know like my my wife's grandfather you know would come over from Brigus to work in the mine and Correct. lots of people worked in service and yes. on on Belland women and girls worked in service and Correct. looked after people and and it must have been quite a, a change for the community when the mine shut in nineteen in 1966. It was devastation beyond belief. Yeah. And, you know, I guess what's um, the, the blessing in it is that we went from 12,000 people in 1966 to pretty much a little over a little... Yeah, a little over 2,800 now. I always say we have 2,800 in the winter and 3,000 in the summer. <laughs> but uh, it was it was sheer devastation. I remember my father, who was uh, 52 when the mines closed, and uh, his first pension check from the mine. Now, he had worked there for 42 years, so his first pension check from the mine was $40.20 a month. And, you know, a lot of these proud Bell Islanders were forced to either take their families and move or to stay home and go on welfare. And these were very proud men. So the devastation for the family was one thing, but the internal heartbreak for the minor was entirely something else. Mm -hmm. And uh, my father did go away and worked in a factory and became ill and had to come home. So we ended up staying on Bell Island. We were packed up to go. I was 13. Mm-hmm. And uh, he called home and he said to Mom, I can't. I have a bad leg. And his leg was very, very sore. But the most traumatic part about Dad going over and above the fact that he was leaving us was the fact that we didn't know, but he was functionally illiterate. So he was going to the Toronto airport People were picking him up once he got his luggage. But my mother was terrified, and I couldn't understand it. I said, Mom, but, you know, Aunt Kathleen and Uncle Fred will be there. Oh, I know, she said, I know. And it wasn't until years later 
she said to me, I cried and cried and cried because I thought he'd get lost in that airport and they'd never find him because he couldn't read the signs. So there were a lot of men like that, Dale. But yes, uh, it was devastation beyond belief. Uh, and quite a physical change to the landscape as well. There were so many buildings. Big time. The, the photographs uh, pre-closure are so impressive. They had all these yes, company houses and right. yeah. quite quite a, a bustling spot. Well, if you were willing to leave, and some of those houses were extraordinary homes, if you were willing to leave, government gave you $1,500 for your home. That was it. That's what you were given. Mm. So you packed up your children and you packed up whatever you could. And most people went to Cambridge. Yes. At that time it was called Galt. So most people went to Galt. Galt is practically Little Bell Island now. But the other side of it was, was the people who stayed, if you gave government a dollar, one dollar, you could buy back that house. But you could not live in it. You had to tear it down. So, you know, uh, I do believe, I was only 13 at the time, but I do believe there was a movement afoot to probably resettle Bell Island, but we're a tenacious bunch, <laughs> and we're still there. You're still there, yeah, we're in spite there. of those fairy problems that yeah, have, you know, well, from the day of your birth till now, yeah. Yeah, it makes life, and, and the funny thing about it, see, it's all part of the big plan, I think, because I'm currently the chair of the Fairy Users Committee. <laughs> so It's all come it, full circle, yeah. So if that's not payback, nothing is. <laughs> That's excellent. So you, you had mentioned the expansion to the to the museum. So tell yes. me a little bit about that. What's the plan? The plan is uh, the, the expansion is four phases. Mm-hmm. Uh, phase one is the uh, expansion of the actual building. And uh, last year, uh, through BTCRD and through ACOA, we were able to have a project where ERA uh, Architects came down, ERA and Weiss Architecture and Urbanism came down from Toronto. Uh, ERA, uh, and in no small part uh, due to Jerry Dick as well, I have to say, Jerry was so on board and so helpful and so supportive. And at that time, he was Heritage Officer uh, of BTCRD, which is the Department of Tourism. So anyway, uh, ERA came down with their principal, uh, Evan. Philip. Philip Evans. Philip Philip Evans. Yeah. And I did that to him 10 times when he was there. (laughs) He was Philip Evans. And they did uh, a beautiful amphitheater right on the right-hand side of the site when you drive into the museum. And it's made, they use gabion baskets, Mm -hmm. fill them with iron ore, and then covered some of them with pine wood. So they, they're used now as seating. We can use it for school programming. As a matter of fact, on Sunday night, uh, the Belon Heritage Society has been doing uh, a commemorative project a month. And this month, we're going to light 107 candles, 106 for the men who were killed in the mines, and the extra one for the diver that died. Uh, when Rick Stanley had a group in. So we're going to light 107 candles and we're going to call all these people by name. And that will be done in the, uh, I call it the amphitheater. It'll be done in the space that was constructed by uh, 
the students from Ryerson mm-hmm. and the University of, of Toronto, plus great support from our community. You know, the Knights of Columbus came, our deputy mayor, Carol Brown, came and slugged rocks and iron ore and and all of the above. So anyway, to get back to the question, uh, phase one is the expansion. Phase two is the uh, enhancement of the exhibit space. Uh, phase three is the enhancement of the mine tour. I don't know how we can ever enhance it, but obviously there's a few things we can do. Bit of, maybe a bit of a light show or something. And phase four is the memorial garden. But it all sprang from ERA and uh, out of Toronto and Kevin Weiss, uh, architecture and urbanism, who also played a major role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if if people are listening and they want to get more information on the on the mine and the mine tour, how can they how can they find out more? Okay, so we have just received a certificate of excellence on TripAdvisor. So uh, go in there. We are a five-star facility. I don't know how we're going to get to be a six-star. But, uh, <laughs> Do they have we're six We're working on it. No, they don't. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, we believe in firsts. Yes. Well, so, and also we have a Facebook page, Bell Island Community Museum. We are revamping, our, we are developing a new site, a new website. So it is right now, it's www.bellislandminds.com. And when you go in now, you'll see a lot of stuff about the dive. But over the summer, we'll be kind of putting a lot of our own content in. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Dale. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at ICH underscore NL. Thanks for listening.